Super excited to chat with composer Chris Bowers and one of your recent projects, Miss America, which recently came out. I was blown away not only by just performances, but direction and obviously your work was a huge contribution. And the season just came out not too long ago, right? When did it release? Uh, yeah, it released, um, I guess now, maybe about uh, five weeks ago because it, uh, it just the season finale just came out yesterday. When you guys were wrapping up your season, you were still in the midst of tracking, of still putting together your work. And so my understanding is that you then were having to kind of set up these remote sessions. I saw some of the video of you working with the harpist, I believe. Oh, Laura, and yeah, the harpist, yeah. Yeah, what, what was the timeline when quarantine happened? Where were you in production? We were finishing episode seven. So we were about halfway through episode seven. Um, uh, and there are nine episodes in total. So we still had about two and a half episodes left by the time quarantine started. And what was your mindset being that not only was this, I'm sure, a show that you've been super busy with, but also just kind of where was what was your headspace like knowing that you still had more work to do and now you're being told you can't go to the stage, basically? Yeah, well, at first, I think I was like waiting for things to shut down. I was like, OK, well, I guess we're going to have to stop at some point. And it didn't really feel like anybody was trying to do that. And they were just constantly figuring out all the ways that they could um circumvent the issue in all the other post departments whether it was visuals or the final mix or ADR and so pretty immediately I just started trying to reach out to um, my team and some friends slash mentors of mine to figure out what they were doing or what was possible to do um, in this time and what we could do to make sure that we were going to be um, able to finish. Amazing. Let's go back a little bit. So for folks who aren't familiar with Miss America, so the, the miniseries is created by uh, Dobby Waller, and it's it's about the political movement passing equal rights amendments. It's a crazy cast. Uh, Kate Blanchett, John Slattery. I mean, there's uh, Tracy Ullman. It, it's, it's a huge cast. Yeah. And I was just I was blown away by how authentic it was when it came to the time period and and the overall feeling. Because like when you contrast that time and place with where we are today, what was your take on in terms of just the task of knowing the time period and the political climate of of the material that you were presented? I think that it it for the most part informed the way that I approached the emotion of the series. Right, like I think that the sound wise, musically. For the most part, we weren't too time specific. There are a couple of cues later in the series as we get like the the mini series is nine episodes and each episode is later in the decade. And so as we get further into the decade, some of the sounds get a little bit more um, time specific and sound a little bit more like the 70s. But other than that, the score is really inspired by uh, who these people are on each side of the of the fight, the Phyllis Schlafly, Stop ERA side and then the the uh, feminist side and I think that um, the thing that was most interesting to me was trying to figure out how to play these characters especially Phyllis Schlafly's character who is really complicated like the first episode I remember watching even with my fiance and like by you know three quarters of the way through that episode you're really rooting for her and you feel like this is somebody that is our protagonist and and we want to cheer for and then by the end of the episode you realize that she's the opposite of that um at least for you know what it is that we believe <laughs> and and but i think that was the thing that was so fascinating to me was was having this character that needed to be painted um as a bit more complex than just a bad person, especially with the music. And that there are times where we want to feel like we are um, viewing Phyllis from a very specific biased point of view. But then there are times where we want to be sure that we're very unbiased and, and 
um, treating her just like a human and treating her like, you know, the the ebbs and flows of her character very specifically. And, you know, that was something that I was really attracted to at first and definitely took um, time to to get to know because there's so many times where I'm watching a scene and I feel well, obviously this is an evil thing that she's doing or something like that. And, you know, we don't want to paint it that way. Or there might be times where, you know, I want to paint something as sadness, but Davi really pushed me to uh, to focus on the anger that Phyllis has uh, in that moment. And so really being specific about the emotions that these people have and trying to be specific about the times the music is commenting on where they're at uh, headwise more so than where we are at as as an audience member um, was probably the biggest and most fun challenge. How did you get connected with uh, Davi? Uh, I think it was primarily through Mary Ramos, the music supervisor. Um, she had recommended me. She and a couple of the producers, um, I forget which producer, but uh, they recommended me for uh, to Davi and just kind of showed her my music and were fans of mine and um and then we just had an introductory interview. What do you remember from like when when you get that email and they're like oh we're interested in talking with you about a project because I know that feeling when it comes in and like the whole world of possibilities kind of opens up. How did you guys walk through that those initial conversations? What do they say? What do they show you, especially for a show like this? So they gave me the first three scripts, the first episode, the first three episode scripts, and. Then it's really just a conversation. And what I find interesting about that part of the process is it's, you know, the the first question is usually, what did you think? Or, you know, how did you feel about it? Mm -hmm. And for me, I immediately am trying to think about the things that I found most um, interesting for me as a composer that I might be able to highlight. So one of the first things I noticed, like I mentioned, was how this Phyllis Schlafly character was going to have to be... Um, handled in a very specific and delicate way throughout the whole process so we can make sure we are tracking the emotions correctly. Um, and then at some point we kind of talked about how I might approach the sound of it as well, which is such a an interesting thing as a composer, right? You're asked when you're reading a script, uh, what, what do you hear in the score? And you kind of have to have an answer for that. But I feel like even off the page, one of the things that I noticed about it was that you know, this is not an action show. There's not a lot of like high intense uh, s- uh, scenarios that are going on, at least as far as the action goes. But I still felt a level of excitement and um, anticipation. And I was on the edge of my seat as I was reading this script. And so the other thing I I articulated to them is I wanted to try to find a way to really push that with the music, make sure that the music was... was um, driving as much as these women were driving internally even if we might on the on the surface feel like everybody's um pretty pretty relaxed you know we want to make sure we're, we're mirroring how these people feel when people do reach out to you and you do start talking do you ever get any feedback of why someone is why their ear is is so drawn into your work yeah you know it's been interesting i've been finding um uh it's been cool as my uh, body of work is growing to see how people are responding to that. Like I, I'm working on a project right now where the director called me and told me, you know, he wanted me to do my thing. And then <laughs> I started writing music in, in a way that I felt was honest to myself. And we just kept hitting a wall. He's like, no, I want you to do your thing. Like, I don't know what, the, like, this is not, this is not it. And I was like, I mean, I'm writing it. So I think this is my thing, but it turned out that he wanted, um, uh, like p- a piano driven score and he wanted it to sound like specific cues that he referenced of my work and everything. And, and, um, and then we were able to figure out and with, 
with Mrs. America, I'm not even actually sure which I know they really loved Green Book and the score from Green Book. And so that definitely helped figure out what the palette would be. You know, I find it interesting that like the score from Green Book doesn't have um, that much of a jazz element to it. But um, it's pretty clear once they told me that as far as like the sound that they might want to go for. Um, and it's very different than than a lot of the other scores that I might have worked on, you know? So I think that like, I think people might find out about me from a certain project and then that's what piques their interest and that project has a sound to it and and then they kind of identify that as being a part of my sound. But, you know, I think it's also um, still pretty early days, you know? And so I think that like, as far as what is <laughs> the Chris Bauer sound is probably still being discovered. Something that came to mind when I was listening to your music is that it, you know, I think of other people, other composers who have backgrounds in jazz. I think of Jeff Beale. I think of Terrence Blanchard. Who were the people that you looked up to that were idols that were in that were composing, and that transitioned from jazz music over to you know cinematic scores? Who are you drawn to? I mean, the archetype for me has always been John Williams because I mean he started as a jazz pianist and and um, you know he played on the the West Side Story score and he was like a session piano player. He even released a couple um, albums as like little Johnny Williams and, um, and then, you know, became one of the greatest film composers of all time. I feel like, but the, the thing I love about him is that I can really hear that his knowledge of jazz, like it's interesting that jazz, it's definitely, you know, there's a style associated with that word or a genre, but also at the end of the day, the, the thing that you get from jazz education is this deep understanding and knowledge of harmony, right? Like all those jazz musicians were, they were studying classical music. So like a lot of their harmonic understanding, like there's a reason why there's a, an overlay between Ravel and Debussy and like, you know, Bill Evans or Herbie Hancock. Like there's, there's something that kind of sounds similar. And so I, I hear that in John Williams's music. Um, and same with Quincy Jones. I think that the, the way that he approached score was really inspiring to me because it felt um, uh, pretty genreless, but at the same time still very informed of where he was coming from. You know, like, and and I think that just it goes back to his training as well. Like he studied with Nadia Boulanger and and was um, really serious about classical uh, orchestration and and all of that kind of stuff. I feel like those two individuals were big for me. And then outside of the jazz space, it'd be um, Trent Reznor and. Um, uh, Johnny Greenwood, I think, are two, and Mika Mika Levy. I think those three people coming from the like alternative rock space and the way that they've approached scoring has been really um, inspirational to me too. So being from LA, living in LA, being around LA, you must really love LA. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you I, never left. Well, I left for college. I, I went to Juilliard and I was there for like ten years, and I when I moved to New York, I actually kind of despised LA. Like, I think I just had this, I mean, I was 17 years old. So, you know, like, I think it was also me trying to get away from my parents. But, um, when I got to New York, I just really loved that city and that environment and being, um, you know, in jazz school, like that's just like the Mecca of that music. And then, um, uh, as I got older and started getting, coming back to LA, not only did I just actually get to know it a bit differently as an adult, I also think in the last 10 years, there's, there's been a really amazing, um, you know, thing that's been happening in LA with the arts where there are a lot of incredible musicians coming out of LA. Now there's a lot of interesting art coming out of LA. And, um, you know, I think it's a combination of people 
leaving New York because it got too expensive. I mean, LA is too expensive now as well, but at least you have more space out here. And, um, and then, yeah, it definitely felt nice to be closer to my, my family. And, um, and for this industry, there's no other place really to be. For you, what are the things that you surround yourself with in terms of instruments or things that really help kind of get you into the headspace that you need to when, when writing? Um, I mean, one of the biggest things is, is nature, to be honest. I think that like this new studio we moved to, our old studio, we had a, a really nice view of of um, nature. We're in Beachwood Canyon, so it's like, you know, hills and all that stuff. But but there was really no outside space that we were ever in. And this house has um, a bit of outside space that we can like, I can go walk out in the yard for a little while, just like take a, a breather and kind of recenter myself. I feel like that's that's a big thing. And then, um, and then just like other forms of art I find incredibly inspirational or just like other information like right now I'm reading a book the Walter Isaacson um doc, uh, biography of da Vinci and like I take breaks and listen to that book because there are bits that of his process and the way he approached art that I find interesting and applicable to the way that I approach music or um you know like I've been watching the the last dance documentary and we watched that and like you know the way that Jordan approached playing basketball or the way that he approached like his mentality is going to be helpful for me in terms of the way that I have to approach my work and so usually it's something I mean when I'm working I'm always immersing myself in different kinds of music and things like that but when I'm whenever I'm taking a break it's usually about trying to still immerse myself in information and um you know, I'm such a curious person, but having it be outside of music to, to keep the wheels turning. That's awesome. I'm going back just through a few of the, uh, a lot of the, the milestone projects. I start to think about the stepping stones of one building their career, thinking about building experience of collaboration. What have you found in terms of that transition? So if we say six years ago was when you really felt like you transitioned over to doing the types of projects that, this is the Kobe Bryant um, Showtime one, Muse, right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Muse, yeah. What in your mind, what, was there a change in confidence? Is there is there a certain kind of feeling of you've proven yourself that people understand you? Like, what do you think that shift is? Because I think in everyone's career, there's always that one project that gets people over the edge of feeling like I am a composer. This is my profession and this is who I am. And this is what I do. So what, what was it maybe about that time and that project that, kind of showed you a different side of your work. Yeah, I think what was interesting about that project is they Kobe and and the director Gotham Chopra and the producer who's a friend of mine Jake Block, they all gave me the encouragement and the space to do really whatever I wanted to do. Like they gave me a bit of direction as far as some temp inspiration and all of that, but then beyond that, um it was really just kind of like, yeah, do do your thing. And every time I wrote something, the the critique was about trying to get even pull even more out of it. It wasn't about, oh, that's not the right sound or, you know, we want something different. It was more so just like, oh, this thing that you're doing is really cool. Why don't we do more of that? Or why don't we just like focus on that part of it or whatever? And I think that it um, what's weird about it is I didn't really I feel like at that time I was kind of just doing it I wasn't thinking about the fact that it, this was a new thing or I was still learning and it was such a safe in- environment but um but also a high intense environment I mean Kobe was such a, a intense dude when it comes to like um work ethic and and trying to to present your best and I feel like those are the spaces where I thrive the most and so it really just um it it reconnected me to um the 
the level of like drive and discipline that I think that I've always had, but probably it started to get a little lackadaisical on being a touring jazz musician. You know, it's easy to, to like fall into like habits of just like not really being as a, as focused or as serious or as, as dedicated, you know, when you're on the road and, and tired most of the time. But I think that working on those projects early on, especially this Kobe project, it just, um, being around those guys, I was like, yeah, like that, that's who I am. Like that's, that's what this is about. It's about like trying to do the best you can and, and not taking anything less. And, um, and I think that experience really reinvigorated that in me. And I, I, um, uh, up until that point, I also think that I was, I'd always wanted to be a film composer since I was a kid, but up until that point, I think I started to think that like, oh yeah, I can live in New York and kind of do this scoring thing sometimes. I'll just be a jazz musician and then like do some documentaries and indie films every now and then and um, and maybe do like one film a year and tour the rest of the time and working with Kobe and like and coming back to LA to work on that and being around uh, or being in that environment I think reminded me that like, no, this, what I wanted to do was try to like do this on, on, uh, the biggest level possible just cause like, that's, you know, that's what we want to do when we're kids. And so let me work as hard as I can to try to achieve that. You know, how do you get a project like that? That came really randomly. My friend, Jake, the producer, he and I were in a, um, a, a high school all-star jazz band together. And he, uh, we hadn't spoken since that high school jazz band experience, and he came to a show of mine uh, when I just put out my album and I was touring. And he was like, I'm working on this documentary about Kobe Bryant. I don't know if you want to to score it. I've been following you. I remember when we were in high school, you talked about wanting to score films. And I've been like checking out your music and I think it might be a good fit. Do you want to do it? And that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. Incredible. I'm sure at that point, you just jump into the deep end and just hold on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, you know, the luckily I had done a couple of documentaries before that, um, like a few years before that. And yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's just something that I've wanted to do so much. And I've always kind of been in the mindset that like, I say yes to things and then I'll figure out how to do it afterward. And like, I'm going to, you know, kill myself to try to figure out how to do it before I say that I, I, uh, I can't, you know, I'm just looking at kind of the number of projects that you had. It looks like 2018 was a huge year for you. You went from projects like uh, the Bethany Hamilton and Stoppel documentary and For the People, Monsters and Men, Liberty City, and then Green Book. What happened in 2018? You know, I think, um, I mean, who knows? I feel like Dear White People being out for a couple of years or a year or so, I think really helped me. Dear White People was my first um, like project with a studio attached. It was like, it was just a different level. I think that doing documentaries, especially like sports documentaries, there wasn't much pressure from Showtime for, for Gotham, the director, to, to pick a composer that could handle, quote unquote, the stress or the, the responsibility. But with TV shows, like those networks really want to make sure that the composer that's getting hired can handle the environment of being able to turn those things around. And uh, and the show's success and, and any attention the music got, I think, is also what helped... Um, kind of get things snowballing a little bit more in that year mm. I, I can imagine that by the time uh miss america came to you well actually when was that when when did they first pitch it to you then uh in the fall of last year so i, I my okay. first call with them i think was around september of last year oh wow so pretty recently then yeah yeah did you already have other projects that you were working on or like what was kind of your current workload when this one uh came to you yeah i did there's um it was really just um 
some TV shows. Like there's um, uh, Black Monday season two. We were finishing while we were doing that. I also just finished scoring the other um, or the next Madden video game I had done last year's, and then they asked me to come back for this year, and so we were doing that at the same time. And um, that actually might be it. I mean, there's some films that I've been on for a, for a long period, but um, it's weird because it feels like there were like seven things going on at that time. But when I step back and look at it, I really think it was maybe just three things. Miss America, so it's nine episodes. So how much material are you delivering per episode? How, how many per episode cues were you delivering then? You know, it really varied. I'd say that there were some episodes where there was very little music. I mean, I think episode one maybe had nine minutes of music in that 40 something minutes and then and then on the longer side you maybe had some episodes that were closer to like 20 minutes of music or something like that so it's somewhere in between that range and how, how was spotting for you then so you have the script you're meeting with the creative teams how did you guys go about that did they walk you through that to, did you guys do that together you know we did in the beginning and then after a while they really just started trusting uh trusting me a bit I think with the process where you know in the beginning we would do a, a traditional spotting session where we'd watch through and talk about each cue and what we want to feel and everything but the way this process started off I was I started off with just writing um, demos and um, themes and things like that and then we immediately started trying to plug some of those themes into picture before we even started spotting and there were a couple of cues that we started to feel really good about before we got into spotting and so by the time we got into doing spotting sessions, it was, um, you know, we already kind of knew what was going on. We had already figured out the sound and we were um, making good progress. And then um, once, even before the quarantine happened, we got to a point where Davi would just send me her notes on the episode. And then, let you know, if I had any questions, we would set up a call to talk through things. But other than that, they would just send me notes for an episode and then I would just go for it. And then we'd uh, go back back and forth from there. So how much time did you have, do you think, per episode? And were they shooting them in order? Like, what was the back and forth collaboration like then? Yeah, it was all in order for this one. And um, in general, it was about a couple of weeks per episode. I mean, the first episode, we had a lot of time because I started back in, like I said, September. And I don't think we finished the first episode until maybe February. Um, and so a lot of that time was working on episode one, working on some of the other episodes, just like doing single cues here and there. Um, and we were jumping around a little bit back then, but it was just like, oh, for episode three, can you just look at this one spot and see what we can do there? And then um, and then by the end, uh, it was pretty tight turnarounds, like closer to 10 days or a little under two weeks. Where did you uh, track all of your orchestrations? Uh, here in LA. So we did um, the first few, we did the first six episodes in three sessions so two episodes per session um and a couple of different studios here in la and then the last last three we had to do uh remotely but all okay. the musicians were la based musicians what was that experience like it was interesting man like i think one it showed me how much i appreciate my um team and my resources just because you know i didn't there wasn't much concern or worry once I started reaching out to them because I knew we were going to be fine. Like I reached out to my contractor, Peter Rodder, and he was like, look, we have 70 musicians that, that already have home setups and we'll be ready to go. And then I talked to my studio manager and my mixing engineer and they had already spent time putting together a document that 
would explain to each each musician what it is that we're looking for, how they need to record themselves. And I didn't even know a lot of the process that was going on. I was talking to my mixing engineer, Steve K and and my um my studio manager Max, and we were like, I asked them about some of the issues we had with Mrs. America because I did some panel with um another composer that had to also work during this quarantine process and and he was mentioning some of these issues. And I was like, wow, I don't know how we didn't have any of those issues. And then I talked to Steve and Max and they're like, no, we did. You just weren't a part of that part of the process, you know, and I just appreciated that. I was like, this is what we have to do and let's figure out how to get it done. And they would work with each musician individually and make sure that we got, you know, test uh, sounds from them to make sure that it was going to be what we needed. And and um, if anything was wrong, they would help them try to figure troubleshoot and figure it out. And um we would give each musician about two days to turn around the score and then Steve, the mixing engineer, would reassemble it all and um, and put it together and it actually sounds really great. Mm. So for you, being from LA, knowing that musical community, I mean, LA has one of the finest group of players in the world. So for you, how, how do you seek out and find your players? Like, how, how has that been for you over the course of your career? I think that one thing that's helpful is being a musician myself and being a touring musician where like, a lot of a lot of my musicians I use are people that I've played with, you know, especially when it comes to specific things like if if I want guitar or drums or something more band associated um, on a track, I usually call a personal contact of mine just because I think that, yeah, the, usually I'm hearing something specific. I was talking to this drummer, Jamiah Williams, today who I've played with for years. He's an incredible jazz drummer, one of my favorites. And and I was like, man, I need your help on this thing because as I'm writing, I'm like, what would Jemiah do is my thought when I'm writing drum parts, you know? And so um, I'm just now starting to learn the the orchestral side of things and knowing some of the, the session players that I've been fortunate enough to have on things since Green Book and uh, now like, you know, returning and things like that. And so it's a combination of people that I've just developed a relationship over time whether it was like in a band situation or that have played for me um and then having somebody like peter rotter who i can trust and i know that he has my best interest at heart i know that anybody we get in in um the studio to play is going to be as high of a level or caliber musician as possible mm. so like we mentioned the kobe documentary and obviously green book were, were big milestone projects for you and now I, I think Miss America has proven that you're very capable of doing episodic dramas. <laughs> On your list of projects or genres and even video games you mentioned, what is that one thing or wh- what is it that, that you're still searching for, you're still, you're still hunting after? You know, I think um, it, it always changes, you know, in different phases. I feel like there's something else that now I feel like doing. Right now, I would really love to, um, you know, put into the universe the idea of doing uh, either like a, a Marvel movie, something like that, that's like pretty uh, massive and action-based and, and fun like that. And also seeing how, I mean, it was DC, but seeing how Hilder handled the Joker thing and really just totally changed the the sound of, of a uh, superhero movie, you know, I think is such an interesting and exciting space right now. Um, and then other than that, I guess... Um, probably just working with directors that I really am a fan of, you know, they're, whether it's, I mean, people that probably I'll never get to work with, but like Tarantino or Spielberg or, um, you know, Scorsese or any of those type of people, I think are the, the other projects that I'm really into, or even younger directors like Alex Garland or Nicholas Winding Refn or, you know, those people. But 
I think that uh, other than that, I'm kind of just open to continue what's already been happening. <laughs> That's exciting. It's, it's incredible to <clears throat> just kind of track your journey so far. A lot of people who want to get into this type of work don't understand the amount of commitment and time it takes. And obviously, you put in the time, you're incredibly committed. Are there other elements that kind of go unseen that maybe are just part of your process that have helped you stay focused and engaged in your work? Yeah, I think just the um, the internal like um uh, the stuff the, the emotional stuff the stuff that's happening like outside of the work you know like even in, especially in a time like this like trying to finish all of these projects i also um my wedding was canceled and like you know there's all these other things that are happening that you have to deal with which is just regular life but um as an artist you're using your emotion to to create from right so like there's so many times where i might feel really depleted emotionally but i have to get the work done and how do i do that without feeling um you know shitty the whole time or or feeling like i need to you know numb myself with something to get through the the work or whatever and so i feel like all of the the uh, internal discipline has been really important. Like meditation has become really a big thing for me. And also um, uh, even just the way that you, the internal dialogue that you have is interesting as an artist, because as a composer, you spend so much time working on a piece of music and then you share it and it takes, you know, two minutes for the director to listen to it and be like, yeah, that's not it. That's not working. <laughs> like, or, or, you know, that's not what I, what I had in mind. And, um, and it's easy to, after a certain while or when things get really frustrated, to really doubt yourself or doubt whether or not you're um, uh, on the right path. And being able to trust your instincts and everything is such an important uh, ability when you're when you're in this field. So I feel like those things have been things that have been really important for me, just making sure my head's screwed on straight while trying to deal with all the other stuff. It's like, you know... Um, we're we're doing so much more the music part is actually the easy part like dealing with personalities or dealing with the stress of getting work done under a deadline or doing revisions like that's that's where the hard part comes in so for folks who want to find out more about you um obviously your website's a good place to go it's chrisbowers.com anywhere else that you're where else can people find you uh i mean there's all, all the music's on spotify and itunes and you can just search chris bowers for that and then um i'm more active on on um like Instagram is really the only thing I'm active on. I have a Twitter and a Facebook and all of that, but they're usually just reposting whatever I posted on Instagram, but I'm pretty active on there as well. That's cool, man. Well, congratulations on uh, Miss America. Check it out. It's on Hulu. My first gut reaction was like, I don't know. This doesn't seem like something I would enjoy, but you really have to check it out just because the performances are amazing. Your music is such a compliment to just the storyline and the characters. So congratulations on this project. Uh, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. 